We're very glad to be here to share Sunday service with you all. We have guests from the Expanding Light. We have the post-spiritual renewal week crowd. So thank you all for coming. I'd like to read from uh, Rays of the One Light. This is um, weekly commentaries on the Bible and Bhagavad Gita written by Swami Kriyananda. And our topic today, this week, is how should we meet our tests? Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. Last week, we considered Satan's temptation of Jesus in the wilderness after his baptism by John. We discussed the question, does Satan exist? All of us experience temptation of one kind or another in our lives. Some of us frequently, others only occasionally. Whether temptation comes to us from our own subconscious or from outside ourselves is secondary to the fact that it does come and that we must deal with it. More important then is the question how to deal with it. In fact, how to deal with tests of any kind. Martin Luther flung an ink pot at the devil who had appeared to test him. A dark stain on the wall of Luther's cell is pointed out to tourists to support this story. Unfortunately, our trials are not often so summarily dismissed. As a fellow monk once said to Swami Kriyananda, speaking of Satan, if only I could get my hands on him. Jesus, during the temptations in the wilderness, overcame them and thereby set an example for all time by clinging the more determinately to God. As Paramahansa Yogananda used to say, darkness cannot be driven out of a room with a stick. Once you turn on the light, however, the darkness will vanish as though it had never been. Jesus manifested this principle. The Bible tells us, therefore, that at last, the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. In the Bhagavad Gita, the point is clarified further by the added explanation that there are three qualities in human nature, sattvic, or spiritually elevating, rajasic, or ego-activating, and tamasic, or spiritually darkening. It is this triune aspect of human nature that the third chapter refers to with the words, as fire is hidden by smoke, as a mirror is dulled by rust, and as an embryo is enclosed in the womb, so is the indwelling self enveloped by desire. Yogananda explained that each of these examples describes one of the qualities or gunas. Sattva guna, that which elevates our consciousness, can be freed of any identity with ego by a little puff of meditation and right affirmation. Rajoguna, which embroils the ego in restless activity, can be worked off with a little more and a little longer effort. Tamoguna, embracing as it does such mental states as laziness and stupidity, can only be outgrown in time since it inhibits even the desire for self-improvement. The example Jesus gave us was intended more for those in whom sattva guna is predominant. 
But if you yourself find elements in your consciousness that resist even the effort to cling to God in prayer and meditation, don't despair. Patience, as it has been well said, is the fastest path to God. As long as your efforts take you steadfastly in the right direction, you will come out right in time. Remember Yogananda's words, a saint is a sinner who never gave up. If, however, your nature impels you, even against your will, to move in the wrong direction, toward egoic desires and away from God, strive at least to detach yourself mentally from your wrong actions, which are induced by habit. The time will come when their own stored-up energy will tire and diminish. At that time, if you have not contributed to that energy by your consenting will, you will find it possible at last to redirect your energies more constructively. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. to begin with a reading from Yogananda's Whispers from Eternity, and this is entitled, Keep the Compass Needle of My Attention Ever Pointing Toward Thee. Whether soaring through the sky encased in a steel air cage, or drawn o'er the land by snorting iron steeds, or moving easily over smooth highways on rubber wheels, or having my thoughts paralyzed by the pounding din of assembly lines. The compass needle of my attention will ever keep turning toward thy magnetic north pole of divine love. Beaten by winds of happenstance, drenched by cloudbursts of misery, Sucked down in the mud of soul and meshing, ego-whipped activity. Or wandering, lost in the jungles of confusion. My mind will yet ever reach out for thy guiding touch. The raft of my life, tossed about helplessly by the driving storms of need was drifting toward rocks of insatiable desire. O pole star, in our wisdom skies, thy twinkling light beckoned and directed me toward thy shores of eternal contentment. Though countless mechanisms pound, twist, or stretch my anguished nerves, yet will the homecoming pigeon of my love wing its way peacefully toward its true home in thee. I thought to begin with some words of Kriyananda, some of my favorites, um, as a prelude to this topic about tests. 
lest it get too weighty. And uh, he said, everyone is living in a state of grace, even if they don't know it. Everyone is living in a state of grace, even if they don't know it. And so, as uh, Swamiji says in the reading, tests we have oftentimes in abundance. They exist. They're part of living on this plane of duality, this plane of opposites, life, death, health, disease, joy, sorrow. They come, sometimes in a lot of drama, sometimes very subtly, but very powerfully nonetheless. And tests, if we really think about it, are God's gift to us on this plane because they help us to smooth out the rough edges. They help us to gain, again, high ground, to think expansively. And they ask us, they demand of us, and give us the opportunity to think expansively if we choose it, or to perhaps go under, certainly to bow down in greatest humility. But that's what tests are really about. They're really given to us to expand our consciousness, to lift it beyond ego identification, to lift it beyond identification with delusion, identification with maya. And isn't it true? So oftentimes, I know I've heard it countless times, I'm sure many of you have, someone going through a very difficult test or having been through a very difficult test in their life. And so oftentimes you will hear the words, I wouldn't have traded it for anything. As difficult as it was, I grew so much. I received so much. And so this is the other side. This is the upside. Not an easy one to embrace necessarily to take hold of but it's one that potentially awaits us and it's just simply veiled very lightly in the moment with maya so that we can't see it readily but we can come to that observance to that realization yogananda shared with us a dream that he had once and in this dream he was a great philanthropist And he had at his disposal unlimited financial resources. And he had also at his disposal a great, a large staff of experts in their field, medical technicians, doctors, builders, architects, people who could fix any degree of problem on this earth plane. And so this excited him. This excited him and he thought, finally, I've got these resources on all levels. I can go forward around the world and I can help people and fix their problems. And, you know, it's something we'd all like to do, be able to do. And so he was so excited and he went about and he was you know, pouring resources of all kinds on all kinds of problems. And at the end of it all, nothing really happened. 
Nothing really got better. Nothing really made a difference in terms of a, a long-term view of things. People were just where they were at. Some people were open to it. Some people could utilize it. Some people were indifferent to it, didn't believe in it, weren't interested. That's just the way it is. This life is a school, as the great ones say. And there's many different levels of consciousness. And some people... You know, it's something we'd all like to... Okay. (laughs) We don't have to hear it twice this morning. (laughs) Just once, I hope. Okay. So, some of us are interested... And some of us are not. You know, some people are interested, some are not. Some just want to let it be. Life is okay after all. It's okay. I'm happy. I'm happy with the way things are. I don't really see that they can be different. I certainly don't want to put out the energy to fix everyone's problems. So some people just go along. That test roll into their life. They just accept it as the burden it is. And, you know, time... Time unfolds. Time goes by. Eventually, these things lose their magnetism, their power. They dissipate after incarnation, after incarnation, after incarnation. But some people are really excited to be in this school of life. And they are the yogis. They are the spiritual aspirants. And we want to learn. We want to grow. We're willing to take what comes. I I have a couple friends who... I mean, their prayer is, bring it on, Divine Mother. And uh, I can't say I really put it that way, but <laughs> in a matter of speaking, I do. I, I, I truly lay my life at the feet of Divine Mother, but uh, I usually don't put it in the words, bring on the karma. <laughs> so, <clears throat> little subtle difference there, maybe. Something I can work on, but... Uh, but here we are in this school of life and the class that we are enrolled in, what came to mind is achieving liberation, how to do it. And this is what we're here for. This is the classroom of the yogi, of the deep spiritual aspirant. And the masters give us this example of the how. You know, they can blow on it with a puff. Jesus was there to Satan. He said, get thee behind me. And Satan was gone. He prayed, he fasted, he meditated, but that was it. Get thee behind me. And Satan was gone. But the masters, as it says in the festival, they come willingly to embrace, willingly to embrace limitation, pain, and death for the salvation of mankind. So they come with that willingness to show us how to do it. How should we meet our tests? When Yogananda was coming to America, his guru, Sri Yukteswar, said to him, when you get to America, oh, the challenges you are going to face in organization. And Yogananda said, don't tell me I know all about it. He could see, he could see it all. He could see what was coming and just the challenges, the tests of this physical plane, even when we are trying to do something good and very great. Yogananda, when he was, uh, had just come to California and he was going to land the organization here. And uh, 
They found the property at Mount Washington. The price tag on it was $65,000, way more than was even imaginable. And Yogananda was just about to sign the papers. He knew Divine Mother wanted him to have this, but he had no idea where this was coming from, the resources for this. Just about to sign the papers, and God told him, don't do it. Don't do it. You can get it for less. (laughs) And a realtor agent helped Yogananda, was able to whittle down the price to $45,000, a substantial reduction, but still way out of any resources that they had available to them. And, but the conditions were $45,000, three months, and in cash. That's it. Or it'll go to someone else. So Yogananda, you know, went around trying to rally people's energy. One devotee student came forward, and Yogananda had recently healed her husband, Uh, He was going to die. And she said, you know, you have given me this great gift, and I want to give something to you in return. So she loaned $30,000 for the purchase of Mount Washington. And the rest sort of started to trickle in, and it was the night before, three months had passed, when when Yogananda was told that this was going to cost $45,000, one of the students really objected and said, this is ridiculous. You know, it would take 20 years to earn this kind of money, maybe. And Yogananda said, 20 years for those who think 20 years. Two years for those who think 20 months for those who think 20 months. And three months for those who think three months. But here it was. It was right up to the end. It was the night before, and there was $5,000 outstanding. And Yogananda didn't know where it was going to come from, even though he knew that Divine Mother wanted them to have this. He said, I think Divine Mother likes to keep my life interesting. (laughs) And so these tests would come to him so that we could see the kind of consciousness with which to meet them that we also need to have. And he was wondering what was going to happen. He was praying fervently, and he glanced at the phone, and he thought of another student, and he called this student, and he said, is there any way, do you have, we need 5,000 more dollars? And she said, well, interestingly enough, someone called me today, Uh, someone, I got a piece of mail today, and someone included a check for $5,000. It was payment against a loan that I gave years ago, years ago. And I never thought to get it back, and I'll give it to you. So Yogananda said, be here tomorrow. Be here tomorrow by noon. The deal has to close by noon. And noon came and went, and the woman hadn't arrived. And the owner said, we'll wait the rest of the day. There was a line of people, Yogananda said, waiting to get that property. And just after the owner said that, a little bit of time passed, and she came and gave the money, and they got that property. So when we are confronted with tests, what this example, what Master is showing us, is that we need to come at them with really strong energy, high energy. Don't let them just bowl you over from the get-go, but really try to feel your energy, get a hold of your energy, 
and do whatever you can, the best you can, to increase your energy to meet that oncoming wave. Be strong in your attunement. These are the things that get tested. The test isn't about the problem. It's about our level of energy, our consciousness. It's about our attunement. Yogananda um, had a disciple in Mexico. He was the head of the center there, the meditation center in Mexico City. Señor Cuaron was his name and how Yogananda referred to him. And he had been for months without a job of any kind. And it was becoming a rather desperate situation for the family. And he didn't know what to do. And he was praying and asking for guidance. And one day he got a call. And it was a job, finally. But it necessitated that he had to move across to the seaside, over to the coast of Mexico, And so he called Yogananda as a matter of procedure. He thought, surely he's going to be excited to hear about this. And and also, they're going to need someone to replace me here at the center. So he called Yogananda. And Yogananda, before he said anything else, said, no, no, absolutely not. Do not take that job. And gave no reason at all. And no suggestion for what kind of job he might get if he didn't take this one. And he just, because of his attunement, he acted on it. It was hard to do. You know, he had been out of a job for some time. It wasn't just him. It was his family. But he didn't take the job. And in a month's time, news came out that the company had been accused of fraud. And the people in charge, and in addition, the individual who took that job in Signor Quaron's stead, were all imprisoned. So, you know, these things come to us, and it's important. Energy, attunement, keep checking with the guru. Don't assume that because it lands in your lap, that's necessarily the answer or the right thing. It might be okay, but is it what God wants? And when we receive tests to keep that connection so dynamic, to really try to understand what is God asking of me? What is God's will in this? Because it is an opportunity. It's a priceless opportunity. And if we just gloss over it, you know, some karma may be ensued, maybe just a longer <laughs> a longer path, a longer journey. But to those of us, Yogananda described the, the dynamically seeking yogi as the one with the eagle heart. You know, you get tired at some point of this agonizing monotony, as Yogananda described it, and your heart just yearns for that freedom, yearns to soar freely in the skies of cosmic consciousness. So energy and attunement. And keep your consciousness elevated. Do whatever you can to do that. This is the importance of satsang. You know, all of us, I think, who have been on the path a long time, and I don't say this in judgment, it's just simply a matter of fact. But people come up against tests, and they can derail us in a big way, in a little way. And so oftentimes when things get 
difficult, people stop meditating. They meditate less. They stop hanging out with their guru bias. They just kind of implode a little bit and internalize their focus, not on the great self, but on the little self. And satsang is so key. I'm thinking of a a good friend who has been out of a job off and on for countless years, just doesn't seem to have good job karma. I don't know what the karma is, but gets a good job, it goes for a while, unemployed, and just again and again and again. But I so admire this individual because this individual stays in the ashram, stays in the community. I'm not talking about Ananda Village. Don't try to figure it out. (laughs) It's a devotee somewhere, a great devotee soul who gives us this example of just staying in the center of it even when things are really difficult. So this is the power of satsang. Yogananda said, when you're an om, nothing can touch you. And he's talking about the om in meditation. But we can, it's that reality just that manifests through satsang in the vibration and strength of our guru bias. When we don't have it, they do. They do. And they'll, if we open and keep that connection strong. We feel that support. We feel that encouragement. And we have that aura of light around us that nothing can penetrate. We get the test, but we know how to respond. We know what to take from it and the gift that is inherent in it. Many years ago, um, probably well over a couple decades now, but... Uh, one of my nephews passed from this plane, um, had cancer at a very young age and fought it for four years and left his body at age 11. And I went there near the end to help the family if I could. Um, Both of them were working, needed to keep working. The bills were enormous, years and years of this. And I would be with him during the day at the hospital, and they would come in and be there with him at night and go to work at the day. And it was just a couple days before he passed, and he was feeling kind of down and discouraged and uh, feeling bad for himself, feeling bad for his friends, and just that separation that was going to occur shortly. And we were talking, and I said, How is it for your friends? You know, how are they doing with this? And he said, they're having a hard time. Imagine. And I said, is there anyone in particular? And he said, yes, my friend Brian. And I said, would it be helpful for you to write him something? Maybe write a note. I can go down to the gift shop. I can get some cards. You can pick one and write something. And he said, that would be a good idea. So I went down, I got some gift cards, I brought them back, he picked out the one he liked, and he asked me to write the letter. And I wanted to read this letter, I've kept it around, I've only read it a couple times really for people, Uh, but I felt to today. So uh, he's writing this, and he says to his friend, my, my nephew's name was Russell, and his friend is Brian, dear Brian... How are you doing? I'm all right in the hospital, but a little sleepy. I know that you worry about me some, but don't worry too much because I'm all right. 
also, if, you, if it will help you feel better, you can come see me if you have time. When I die, if I do soon, don't worry, because I'll be somewhere special in heaven. And sooner than I know it, you'll be with me in heaven, because a thousand years on earth is a minute in heaven. I know you'll worry and miss me when I'm gone, but just accept it like you did with your uncle. His uncle had passed. His friend's uncle had recently passed. My mom will give you something of mine so you can remember me always. So don't worry too much. Love, Russell. So just a very sweet but very powerful message. Um, Continues to inspire me. Just that relinquishment of ego, of attachment, of personal desire, so that we can receive what is happening in the moment, what is coming to us, what seems to be a big test, what seems to be unfair, untimely, all manner of reasons we could think of why it's not ours or shouldn't be ours. But it's this kind of attitude, this kind of surrender on a very deep level that we want to open up to. When Swami Kriyananda faced the most difficult challenge in his life, the saint Ananda Maima wrote to him, she was a friend of his, accept this as your guru's grace. And it was a very difficult time for Swami Kriyananda. He said it was the most difficult time in his life. And it wasn't easy for him to get his aura around this thought of grace. Many years later, a woman said to him, you've gone through so much in your life. How do you do it? How do you face it? And, you know, she was saying just so many tests. And he said, what tests? He just forgotten. They weren't really there on that level of enduring personal pain, certainly. He had transcended that. He had seen God's grace in everything. And when she enumerated them all, he said, oh, well, yes, (laughs) yes, they have been there. But this is the attitude. We are all living in a state of grace, even if we are not conscious of it in the moment. And so be grateful for this grace in your life. Look for this grace. Try to pinpoint it and really glean it from the things that are happening to you. And thank God. Thank God for it.